Um, okay, right. What do... What do... Anyone know who that is? Dante. Yeah. <laughs> a gentleman and a scholar, Andrew. That's Dante. Yeah. It's on the picture. It's on the picture. <laughs> yeah, okay. And that is... No, it's Harper's, Harper's Magazine. Okay, and, <laughs> and that, which of course you all read regularly, and that is Brad Pitt. Okay, what do those three have in common? They're male. <laughs> <laughs> Harper's Magazine is not male. What do Dante, Harper's Magazine, and Brad Pitt have in common? They're funny looking. <laughs> 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 What's. Uh, They've all either written about, advertised, or starred in a film about the seven deadly sins, believe it or not. And um, Harper's Harper's Magazine actually ran a series of adverts trying to persuade you to um, take up one of the seven deadly sins, interestingly. Okay, before we look at um, what they are, just turn around in threes twos, three, something like that. And I want you to answer this question amongst yourselves. Spiritually, do you think your greatest enemy is inside or outside? Is your greatest enemy inside or outside? Okay, turn around, small groups. Just talk about that for, for one minute. <laughs> I think the more you grow up, the more the enemies are all right. Okay. All right. What do you reckon? Okay. Jacqueline, and you're going for inside. You're going for inside, boys. So I had a. I said it's it changes through life. First, it's outside as you're younger, and the more you get older, the more it's inside. Okay. So it's like for us, it's inside. Okay, interesting. Okay, yep. We're all <laughs> Yeah. This is going to be a long weekend if it's happening like this. Yeah, go on, Ryan. Why is it a trick question? Well, we said that it's, it's on the outside, but it feels like it's on the inside. Okay, all right, interesting. Okay, well, let's go over here. So, in a cosmic sense, oh. yeah, our ag- right. agony is outside us, but to us personally, it might be the sin, sin nature within us. I- indeed, yep. Ladies, oh, and Manu. <laughs> the girls row with Manu tacked on the end. You didn't come to a conclusion. We, we were asking questions, what is our reason? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Right, okay, ladies, let's hope you did better. With all the complications, yeah, and the back row. Inside. Inside. Okay. All right. I mean, hey, I think you can argue this either way. Just look at um, just look at what Peter writes. Okay, he said, um, 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Okay, so he, um, that word passions is this word which keeps on cropping up in the New Testament, which is your, your over-desires, the things you want, that I want, just too much. And because you want them too much, they war against your soul. Okay, in other words, these are things you want, but in wanting them too much, they destroy you. Okay, or they can attack you. Um, anyone know who that is? <laughs> so they're not going to get any easier than that one. Okay. And, um, when Oscar Wilde was in prison for uh, homosexuality, he wrote a, one of his prison guards suggested he write a letter to his um, male lover. And it was really a sort of, so he, he goes through this almost conversion experience in jail as he's processing uh, what's happened to him. And he writes this letter, which is subsequently published, called De, um, De Profundis. Anyone know what that would be based on? So it's off the sun, out of the deeps, out of the depth, I call to you, basically. And, um, and th this is what he wrote in that letter. He said, I forgot that every little action of the common day makes or unmakes character, and that therefore what one has done in the secret chamber one has some day to cry aloud from the housetop. I ended in horrible disgrace. Okay, it's very sobering. He realises that he had given himself to these desires of the flesh, the passions of the flesh, and that it had destroyed his character. Um, but of course it's not just sex wrongly pursued that can destroy character. In, this is one of my favourite books, Charles Dickens's uh, Christmas Carol. Ebenezer Scrooge is a... How many of you read um, Christmas Carol or seen a play or TV version of it? And um, Ebenezer Scrooge is a man who is consumed by the love of money, by greed. And one night he is visited by the ghost of his former business partner, who is a guy called Jacob Marley whose life, when he was alive, like Scrooge's life, had been defined by greed. Okay, now, if this, if this works, and this is when, this is when Scrooge meets the, uh, when the ghost of Jacob Marley comes to um, meet Scrooge. That's Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> Much in life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you sit down? I can. We'll do it then. You don't believe in me. I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your own senses? I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them, a slight disorder of the stomach. You might be a bit of bad beef, a blood and mustard, a 
fragment of an underdone potato. <laughs> more of gravy than a grave about you, whatever you are. Humbug, I tell you, humbug. <laughs> Why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do, I must. Why do spirits walk the earth? Why do you come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared, and turn to happiness. Chain, tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. Is it pattern strange to you? Or would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? We see no chain. Mine were invisible until the day of my death. As yours shall be. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. No doubt of that, you, you always were a good man of business. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. I'm sorry for it. Is there anything I can do for me? Nay, it is too late. But I have come for your sake, Ebenezer. Have you? Well, you always were a good friend. Okay, and um, I mean, you'll forgive the, the dodgy theology, <laughs> some of that. Um, but just listen to what he says. He says, mankind was my business. The common welfare, charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence. If those are things that make up good character. Good character spent for the good of others. He says, those were my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. The making of money, the, the production of wealth, that's just a drop in the ocean of what he was supposed to be doing with his life and how he was supposed to be uh, using his life. The greed, he's saying, has destroyed him as it is destroying Scrooge. And it's the fact that our desires these passions of the flesh that when they become these over desires we want these things too much that they have these life destroying capacities is behind God's word um, through Isaiah in Isaiah 55 where the Lord says come everyone who thirsts we might say everyone who desires everyone who really wants something come to the waters 
And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labour for that which does not satisfy? Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. In other words, God is saying, hey, you're thirsty for stuff, but the stuff you're running after is never going to satisfy you. Only I can satisfy you. And I don't cost anything. Okay, now can you think of an example in Jesus' ministry where he met somebody just like this? Who's thirsty for something, and actually they are not getting it where they're looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. The lady at the well. The the woman at the well. And she what what has she got behind her? Not on the picture. She's got Tachina here, I think. Not animals. She's got a long list of broken yeah, a long list of broken romantic relationships behind her. What do you think she's been looking for in those... Yeah, I'm sure she had animals as well. (laughs) (laughs) Frank, keep trying, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What what, what do you think she's been looking for in those relationships? Yeah, go on. on. Satisfaction. Yeah, satisfaction. These are generalisations, aren't they? Fulfilment of what? Okay, I I mean, we don't know, do we? For intimacy? For friendship? to be known, to be loved, to be told, hey, you're special. And she's gone from one man to the next, hoping that that is what she is going to find. And it's failed, and Jesus says to her, whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. You're not gonna need to go from one abusive man to another to find what you are looking for. And the seven deadly sins, or as we're gonna see, I think better called the seven capital vices, and we'll explain that in a minute. They're a way of categorising these desires, these things that we look for, those passions of the flesh that we think will satisfy us, but where only God can. Okay, so the seven, anyone tell me what they are without looking at your notes? Seven deadly sins, seven capital vices? Come on, you're amongst friends. Greed? Lust, gluttony, pride. Pride is interesting because you're absolutely right. We're going to look at vain glory, okay, for a reason that I'll tell you in a minute. Sloth, Sloth my favourite. <laughs> Anything else? Is there anger? Anger or wrath? Yeah. Excessive screen time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that comes under sloth. Okay. Um, Okay, let's see what they are. So, um, okay, so lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, we didn't do, pride or vainglory. Okay, so in um, game hunting, they're, they're the big five. Okay, these are the big seven. Okay, the seven, seven deadly sins or the seven capital vices. Okay, what I want you to do, turn into your groups. What do you think each of those offer? What is it that we're looking for in those seven deadly sins? that people might pers- are pursuing through those things. Just one word, you know, didn't have to spend it, go. Just a minute on that, Tron. Identify what, what it is we look for, that we're looking for in those, what we think they're going to satisfy. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, what do you reckon? Okay, let's take the top one. What, 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 um, uh, pride or what we're going to call vainglory in a minute? What, what do you think people are looking for in that? Recognition. Okay, recognition. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay, next. Self-importance. Greed. What are people looking for greed? Okay, interesting. Power, quite possibly, actually. But possessions, why possessions? So what I want you to think about is go deeper than just a superficial... I'm not saying you're superficial, Andy. Um, go, go, go do, yeah, we're looking for possessions, but why are we after money? Why does money have a hold on me? The ability to provide to one's needs. Okay, it, ab- absolutely. So security, arguably. Okay, um, a lust. Why lust? Everyone suddenly goes silent. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, hey, in, in intimacy, again, like the lady at the well, you know, wanting, to, wanting to know that you matter to somebody, possibly, pleasure. Okay, envy. What are we looking for in envy? When you're envious of someone. They, I would argue a sense of worth and approval. A gluttony, what are you looking for in gluttony? Not that any of you are gluttons. Well, we'll come to that, maybe you are. Um, That's an interesting one, actually. Yeah, pleasure, probably satisfaction, interestingly. Um, and uh, wrath, what, what are we looking for in wrath? Power. Pa- power, yeah. Justice, that's interesting, yeah. Look at that. Okay, sloth. Uh, it's very interesting. What are we looking for in sloth? We'll get to that. Okay, all right, so there you go. So that's the, um, that's the list. Okay, so as you might... Who is that? Augustine. 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 Okay, Augustine said, Augustine said, specious vices have a flawed reflection of beauty. Okay, so what he's saying is, is that many... Oh, yeah, great word, isn't it? That's the word for the weekend, specious. Okay, by which he means many of the things that we... Uh, we, we get, they, they are genuinely good or they're genu- they are close to what is genuinely good you know, they're, they're, a clo- they're, they're, a, they're like it but they're actually they're not like it and it's, and it's pretending to be this thing that you're after so um, they in some way reflect what is good and what is truly beautiful and that they answer a deep human need but they distort them so you might offer a shortcut to satisfaction, to love, to friendship, approval, comfort, control, pleasure, or worth. But they offer them to us without God. And um, so Jeremiah said to Israel, or the Lord said to the people through Jeremiah, My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That is basically what we do. 
we turn our backs on the real fountain and go to these things that really aren't fountains. Okay, and that's the seven deadly sins of the capital vices. Okay, now, how did we end up with seven? Why seven? Why not three? Or nine? We could have a week then, couldn't we, if it was <laughs> nine or ten? Okay, so anyone know? Where, where did they come from? What's, what's their history? Um, somebody other than Zach. <laughs> the history of the seven deadly sins. There are many popes, there have been. Which one? Yeah. Thank you, Victor, for trying. <laughs> well done. Okay, right. Who is this? Yeah, they, they all look like this. <laughs> Looking at lots of pictures like this. Okay, this is Evagrius of Pontus. And he was a desert father, called a desert father, an, an ascetic monk um, in what is now Turkey. And he came up with eight sins that, that perpetually afflicted monks in what were the early monasteries and that led them into more sin. Then his disciple John Cassian, who you have to say bears a striking resemblance <laughs> to him, he brought the idea of this list of sins into Western Christianity, but it was Victor's friend, Gregory the Great, okay, who Calvin said, what did Calvin say about himself? He's the last good pope. He's the last good pope. It's all downhill from there. Sorry if you're Catholic. Um, uh, Gregory the Great, he uh, narrowed it down to seven. And the reason he did that, going back to Manu on pride, is that he thought pride was the root and the trunk of all sin and all the others, these other ones, the seven deadly sins, seven capital vices, are the branches uh, growing off. And he said... They, um, he described them as being like uh, seven generals commanding whole armies of sin, or like a hatchery of chicks constantly breeding um, more sins. Okay, but the term deadly sin that came with uh, Thomas Aquinas, and he called them, anyone know why he called them deadly? Other than Zach, anyone's allowed to answer if your name's not Zach. By the way, <laughs> what, what, why might they? Why might they be deadly? In his in his thinking, okay, they're, they're they're deadly because he thought they cut you off from God's grace. Rather than common sins, these cut you off from God's grace. They kill God's grace in the heart, which is not really a biblical idea. Um, you know, the the Bible says all sin is deadly. The wages of sin is death. Uh, Paul says, all rebellion, um, all sin is rebellion against God. But it's also wrong, isn't it? Because nothing, in Christ, nothing can cut us off from his love, or from his grace. And so if we, if we do talk about them being deadly, we should think of them more in terms of them being deadly because they lead us further and further into uh, sin. And in fact, as I said, uh, people would argue it's better actually to call them capital vices and capital in the sense of head, you know, capital punishment, you lose your head. Capital in the, in the sense of head, a fountain head, head of a river, source. These are, these seven capital vices are vices that are constantly pouring out more sin in our lives. You know, you've heard of uh, gateway drugs. Well, you could say that these are gateway sins leading to more sin. So they're not just bad habits. Okay. As Dorothy uh, Sayers said, anyone know who Dorothy Sayers was? 
Oh, yeah, some of the older you. Not that you're old, Andrew. Andrew, you're, no, you're not old either, Andrew. We're young, mate. Okay, he, she said that she described them as the seven roots of sinfulness. Okay, but they are habits. Okay, they're deeply, which is why it's better to call them vices rather than sins. Okay, sin is something you do, um, you, you could do a one-off, you could do something that was envious, you could do something that was greedy. Um, but a vice is a, a, a deeply ingrained habit or a pattern of behaviour. Okay. And I just say that because the danger of this weekend is you're going to go away thinking, oh my goodness, I commit all of these, I've got all of these vices. And actually, don't think like that. We all commit these as sins. But what this is about is helping us identify why there is maybe one or two of these that are actually a problem for us particularly. Um, and to explain this, um, nice to say they are habits. To explain this, Rebecca de Young. This is a very good book that I've read. I think Zach's reading it. Sue's reading it. I'll show it to you tomorrow if I remember. But she, she's Rebecca de Young. She's a professor of philosophy at Calvin at University in the US. She uses the illustration of sledging, which I thought was really helpful. The snow is deep, and you're out sledging with friends. How easy is it to make the first run in the thick snow? The snow's really deep. How easy is it to dig to make the first run? It's not that easy, is it? You have to push yourself along, they dig out the snow. Okay, by the time you've been down 20 times, how easy is it to go down there? You just rock it down. In fact, it's now hard not to go down the track. That's just the way you go. And that's what a vice is like. That's what a habit of the heart is like. It's a, it's a rut in our characters. It's a deeply ingrained thing that now we come, this is just the way we do it. I just respond by default this way. And that's what this idea of vice uh, is getting at. Now, in our, what's interesting about these in our current culture is that <coughs> these things are celebrated. Okay, so what I want you to do is look at the list again in your groups. How does our current culture celebrate them? How is it actually says, do you know what, these are actually good things. Okay, in your groups, just one minute on that.
Okay, let's um all right, what do you think? Lust. Okay, guys, you this what lust how is lust celebrated? Oh, you disagree? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Promise you. Yeah. Yeah. And part of this will depend on how you define these things. I get that. Okay. Gluttony. What do you think? How's gluttony? Did you get that? Thank you for answering for them, Victor. <laughs> Do you want to answer for Victor's group on the next one? Sloth? Anyone on sloth? Just like, I think in some areas there's an attitude that work is almost bad. We should just be able to do whatever yeah. we want. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll read you this, this quote. This is from a guy called Ferdinand Mount. He said, and that our current culture has given a shine of that has given valor to vices. He said, covetousness has been rebranded, or greed has been rebranded as retail therapy. Sloth is downtime, time for me. Lust is exploring your sexuality. Anger is opening up your feelings. Vanity is looking good because you're worth it. And gluttony is the religion of foodies. Okay, and then he says, and uh, these vices in many ways have actually become subtly and enticingly attractive to us. Interesting. Okay. All right, so the question is, is why do they matter? Like, why spend a weekend looking at them? And the answer, of course, is because Victor asked to. So it is all Victor's fault. We were stood... Yeah, thanks, Victor. Yeah. We were stood at Eric and Nushka's wedding, and he asked me, what are we going to do at the retreat? And I said, well, I've got a few ideas. And he said, could we do the seven deadly sins? Okay, so it is Victor's fault. <laughs> you are here talking about sin. Okay, um, why, why do they matter? Just give me some ideas. Why, why do you think they matter? I mean, it's part of our sinful, there are just various aspects of our built-in sinful inclinations. Yeah, absolutely. They can destroy your life. They can destroy your life, and they do destroy your life. They can. And others. And others, yeah, exactly. I'll give you some reasons that I came up with. So, number one, just for our happiness and joy. We, we were made, we've been created to experience joy and happiness. But if we habitually pursue stuff other than God, trying to fill our lives, we become enslaved to it, and that brings unhappiness and self-destruction. And, and you might be, um, you, you might think, ah, no, this is overstating. Seriously, this happens. If you give yourself to these things, they are destructive. And as a result, we don't experience God's love for us, we don't give it to others, we don't receive love from others. For the, secondly, for the sake of our characters, which Zach is going to uh, talk about in, in a minute, they just have this corrosive impact on our lives. Thirdly, because I think they're a really helpful diagnostic tool. Okay, John Stott, who was an uh, English pastor, he wrote, Holiness is not a condition into which we can drift. 
which means you will not become more holy just by choosing to carry on the way you are. If we want to become more like Christ, we have to apply ourselves to it. We actually have to do something about it. And knowing these capital vices help us to uh, explain some of the deeply rooted compulsions that we might see in our lives, or they might help us to help our friends, or they might help us to help members of our um, uh, family. Um, and so they help us to, I mean, just as an example, okay, they, um, if you understand the vice of wrath, it might help you understand why you or somebody you know gets really heated when they start discussing politics. And this goes off the scale a bit. Okay, if you understand the vice of vainglory, it can help you understand why we have to stick our best pictures on Instagram, or why mega church pastors or small church pastors can fail. Okay. If you understand sloth, Ironically, as we're going to see, it can, it can explain why you or me, why I, am driven by work and I struggle to put my work down. Envy can help explain why you get that sense of pleasure when you see somebody else fail and it explains why that can happen. A greed can explain why one woman, I'm not picking on the women, like desperately needs another pair of shoes to add to the 3,000 she already has, while another woman won't even buy a pair of shoes that she does need. Again, greed can explain both of those. And so they're a useful tool for helping us you know, just decipher our own hearts. So as Dallas Willard said, and his American philosopher was an American philosopher, he said, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. It's about who you're becoming. That's the most important thing. And on that, Zach, we're going to finish. Zach is going to give us a bit on character and why character matters. Zach. All right. My bit, like my 30 minute bit? Your 30 minutes. The 45 yeah. minute bit? <laughs> <laughs> the 10 minute bit. So. Um, I, I apologize. I don't have slides for you, so I'm going to try and be as animated and exciting as I can to remember what I'm saying. Why does character matter when we're considering moral actions? We're not just thinking about vices this weekend. What's the converse of vices? What's the opposite of vices? Virtue. Virtue, exactly. So we want to think not just about what we're avoiding, but the solution to what we're avoiding really is to turn towards the right thing. So. Our question, why does character matter when it comes to doing the right thing? And I would make the argument that without the appropriate character, you cannot truly be happy. Now, then that raises the question, well, what is happiness, of course? Anytime we do anything, it's because we think there's some perceived good in doing that thing. You wake up in the morning, you brush your teeth. Why? Because you love the feeling of brushing your teeth for its own sake? No, because it has the end of being healthy, and you want to be healthy. Why? Because Healthy in and of itself is a great thing. Well, not really, because you don't want to be sick. That's painful. We're always doing something for the sake of something else until we get to that final thing, because the chain has to stop somewhere. And where the chain stops is what we call happiness. It's the end that we pursue for its own sake and not for anything else. Now, don't confuse happiness with pleasure. 
You can have pleasure and not happiness. You can be happy and not even know that you're happy, right? When you look back on the time period of life, that was when you were younger, you didn't realize that you were happy then. So, so don't confuse happiness with momentary pleasure. Pleasure is just a temporary feeling. Happiness is a state of being. And Aristotle defined happiness in this particular way. A, a lot of the classical philosophers and authors defined happiness really as flourishing, thriving. And, and what does it mean for something to flourish? Well, it depends on the kind of thing that it is, right? So a good fork is going to be different than a good argument, just as a good pet is going to be different than a good person, right? How do we find out when something is flourishing according to what it is, when it's a good what it is? Well, you look at what it's for based off its capacities, what it can do. A good fork is something that can puncture. A good argument is something that supports the claim. A good pet is for companionship. That's why they can't be cats. <laughs> a good person... <laughs> a good person is what? Well, you have to look at what it is, right? You have to consider what it can do to see what it's for. We're trying to figure out what does it mean for a person to flourish or a person to truly be happy. And why do we care about that? Because you have to be having the right character in order to be happy. So let's consider what a person is. They're made of a body, they're made of a soul. Body takes in things through physical senses. Those physical senses then desire certain things, right? We have two different kinds of desires. Desires for simple things that can be immediately taken in, like food. Oh, that cookie smells good. Desire it, take it in, I think it's good. We have a different kind of desire for things that are difficult to obtain. Like I want to climb a mountain. Okay, that's, that's a projection into the future. That's hard. It's difficult. It's, it's going to take a lot of desire, but I think I can get there. So we have these two different kinds of desires, simple attainable things, difficult things in the future. And then we have our soul. And our soul is made up of two parts, the intellect and the will. We know things, we will things. The intellect is for knowing what's true. The will is for willing what's good. And the will has to figure out what's good by asking the intellect, and the intellect makes the decision, right? So... We can break it down in these four different ways. We know what's good, we choose the good, and then we desire in these two different ways, right? So these four capacities, these four powers that we have, based off of what we are, all flourish in a particular way. That's what we call virtue, right? So when the intellect is rightly ordering the will, according to what it means from the, the senses, our passions, we call this prudence. We call this practical wisdom, practical judgment, right? It's not, it's like, it's one thing to say you have to be generous. Okay, but what does it mean for you to be generous? It's different for St. Francis in the 13th century to say, I'm going to take a life of poverty and set aside everything because I'm going to be generous. All right, well, that's great. But for Martin to be generous, he shouldn't vow a life of poverty and, and put everything aside like Francis did. Why? Because Martin has a family, right? He has responsibilities. <laughs> He's in a different circumstance than Francis in the 13th century. So the virtues are going to look different to each person depending on their context. But what matters isn't necessarily the person, uh, or isn't the context per se, just it's how that thing is flourishing. So when prudence is telling us what the right thing to do is, then we have the will, and when the will is doing the right thing, we call that justice, giving people what they're due. And then we have the senses. When you have a desire for something that's simple and attainable, but you don't want it in excess, because that would be bad, take food, for example. A cookie, one cookie is great. A hundred cookies is gluttony. Zero cookies, saying, I'm never going to have anything that's tasty because I'm just a health nut or something. 
That's not good, right? Food is okay to be enjoyed. It's actually good to enjoy food. So that's, that's the moderation, and that's what uh, virtue is. It's, it's flourishing, but in moderation. It's finding the middle, the mean, between excess and deficiency. You'll find that all of these vices are either an excess or a deficiency of what is really the virtue, the mean. So for, for something like food, uh, when we have that kind of desire, the virtue would be temperance. Right? To, to correctly order and moderate a physical urge for something attainable. Prudence, justice, temperance. And then the last one, for something difficult to obtain in the future, but is still good and desirable, would be something like fortitude or courage. So these are our four virtues according to the four capacities that we have. And just like the vices, of which many other vices flow out, like the tree that Martin showed, Many other virtues all flow out from these four virtues. Now, wait a second. There's seven vices. Shouldn't there be seven virtues? What are we forgetting? Well, these four virtues are natural. They're cardinal, right? They're based off of how God designed us just surely by nature. We have a body, we have a soul, we have desires. We get that, right? These are things we can acquire through habit, through character formation, through discipline. They're not going to make us right before God. The only way we're right before God is by the work of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ does that work, and it's credited to our account, he then graciously infuses us, not where we develop virtue by our own habit, we acquire it. No. God gives us the gift of faith, hope, and love. And those are the three supernatural virtues. So we can't acquire them on our own. They're a gift of God. So those are the seven virtues. There's faith, hope, and love, temperance, fortitude, justice, and prudence according to what we are. Now, when we start thinking in that way, we start to realize, wait, okay, everything I do has some kind of moral significance. Every act. Because every deliberate choice you make, you know, short of an accident, bumping into something, every deliberate choice you make is building a habit, is, is shaping a character, a kind of second nature on top of how you're naturally constituted. And so, that's why when we consider a moral question, we don't want to just look at well, did they do it for the right reason? And we don't want to just look at, or like, did they do the right thing, or did it have a good outcome? Every moral question is, who is doing it, what are they doing, and what's the result? People that only look at what is the result will end up justifying terrible things. That's the end justifies the means, right? We can deliberately kill one person to save another three. Well, because the outcome's good, right? No, that's, that's not how we do moral reasoning. Captain America says that. We don't sacrifice one for, for the men. The other is uh, the act itself. If all you do is look at the act, you know, I'm generous. I give Anya a bunch of money. You say, oh, well, that was generous, right? That's a good thing to do. Well, why did I give Anya a bunch of money? Did I do it because I want a bunch of praise? Because I like the feeling of other people applauding me? Well, then no, that wasn't generous, right? So the intention matters. We have to consider the character. And that's why virtue is always going to come back to what kind of character are you forming? Every action is forming a character. Now, you could say, oh my gosh, Zach, that's great. That's a lot of Greek philosophy. That's fantastic. I thought we were trying to be Christian here. Where's the Bible in all of this? Well, the Bible is full of references to the importance of character and habit formation. Consider Jesus himself. It says that he was of the ethos. Ethos is the Greek word for, on a societal level, custom or habit, but on an individual level, character formation. 
Jesus was of the ethos, or, or in English when we say ethos, we often mean credibility. And it's because it's about establishing character. The idea is that you don't just do the right thing at the right time for the right outcome, but that your friends aren't surprised when they see you do it. <laughs> because you're the kind of person that does that thing. They see you do it a lot. Um, Jesus regularly was in a habit of going up to pray. And you know what's really fascinating is that we don't develop these habits of the soul in some like secret, meditative, immaterial, spiritual way. We develop these habits of the soul the same way you developed physical habits, right? We learn through bodily repetition. The soul, one of the dangers of the, I mean, there's a great video illustration, uh, like Christmas Carol. One of the dangers of that is you end up thinking the soul is like this ghost-like form, substance, material thing that's like distinct and can walk around on its own. Like the, the soul is so intimately tied to the body, it learns the same way the body does, through re repetition, through action. And in fact, we know um, through studies on neuroplasticity that the brain literally rewires itself when it's learning a new task through habit formation. The uh, concept of muscle memory that athletes and musicians know very well. The same principle applies to the soul. And this is why in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, when it says that Jesus came, it says that he learned obedience. How did Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal creator of the universe, learn obedience? By becoming the true human, by taking on a body, being, having a body and a soul just like us, and thereby going through suffering, going through bodily suffering, he was able to experience the experience that we have where we can continue to not just obey God, but have the love and the temperance, the prudence, the fortitude, and justice, goodwill towards others. We also see this principle in 1 Corinthians 10.31, where Paul says that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. <laughs> Wait a second, Paul, like, eating and drinking, that's very mundane actions, Right? Are they intentional actions? Yeah, you don't accidentally eat and drink. You intentionally eat and drink. Okay, what's that intention? Is it building a character of gratitude? That would be to the glory of God. That's seeing all things as a gift that you're given. So there's a great significance in even the most mundane actions in life. There's another principle we see later on in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 13, Paul says that you can give your body up to be burned. You can give your body up as a sacrifice, but if you don't have love, it's worthless. And a lot of people would say, whoa, 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 the very action of giving up your body, of, of sacrificing yourself, that is love, just the action itself. Paul would say, no, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. You have to have the kind of character that is truly expressing love. Another principle um, that we find is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, where it says that we need to develop virtue. We need to seek to grow our faith by practicing virtue. And then it gives a list of a number of them, which we don't have time to go into. All of that to say, Scripture is full of these kinds of references where virtue is to be pursued, but we have to remember that these vices is in between. It's excess and deficiency. So I want you to be thinking about this weekend. Um, what, what kind of virtue are we truly striving for? As I come to a close, let's remember, this isn't a kind of works righteousness, you know, justify yourself before God by becoming a better person on your own grounds. First John 4 says, we love because he first loved us. And the faith, hope, love, these great supernatural virtues, these are a gift of God. But the way we develop our habits, the way we develop our characters, you know, morality, ethics, isn't like 
other things you can learn by opening up a textbook, it requires a mentor. It requires a supreme practitioner, a master to imitate and disciple after. And that's Jesus Christ. So we want to have the kind of character that Christ has, who, who went through suffering in his body, but for the great joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And that's the kind of character we're trying to emulate. So character matters because it's the only way to have happiness, which is our f- flourishing and fruition, and it's exemplified in Jesus Christ. That's what I'd say. Thank you, Zach. I would just um, say I'm into that. I think, you know, particularly as we look at these sins, don't get uh, bogged down and focused in on Moises and Sarah. Hello. You were late. <laughs> um, don't get bogged down on that. Let's try in all of this to look to Christ. He's the perfect one, and it's only by his work in our hearts that we can become more like him. Okay, so... Let's just give 15 minutes in your 